Welcome back to episode two of the rebooted uh, Red Reporter podcast. Um, I'm Wick. I've got with me uh, a couple veteran Red Reporters today. I've got uh, Tony Wolf uh, over in Morgantown, West Virginia. Tony, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, this is actually uh, I appreciate you saying that I'm a veteran uh, Red Reporter, but this is my first Red Reporter podcast, so I'm very excited right now. Yeah, we're trying to get everybody out of the woodwork and uh, put, put put some voices to some E names right now. Um, uh, joining us also is a veteran of not only Red Reporter, but the Red Reporter podcast, uh, former, fearless, <laughs> former fearless leader, uh, BK, back in Cincinnati. What's going on, buddy? Not much, not much. Yeah, uh, happy to be on this side of the, uh, this side of the table with uh, you taking over hosting duties. Dude, I, I tell you what, man. Really appreciate it. For a solid two or three years, all I had to do was just like drink a couple beers and just talk, and it was awesome. And then all yeah. of a sudden, it was like, wait a minute, I got to figure out how to run this thing and download this <laughs> thing and publish this thing. And uh, no, BK has been great because he's um, he's he's given me everything I need to know to, to be able to figure out how to actually put this thing together, um, which I needed because I knew nothing. Um, yeah, no, so we are slightly more than I know. So. <laughs> I know enough to get more. one of them. What of them published, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see if we can get this one to uh, uh, to stream as well. But um, yeah. we're, we're recording on Wednesday, the the twenty second of May. Uh, the Reds just um, well, let's just say they took a five nothing lead on uh, on Zach Davies and the Milwaukee Brewers this afternoon, uh, and things looked fantastic. They had their ace on the mound and Luis Castillo. We're looking to take. Two out of two from the Brewers on the road in a uh, rare, weird two-game midweek series sandwiched by back-to-back off days. Uh, Christian Yelich is out of the lineup and didn't play either game. Then obviously he has completely terrorized everybody, but specifically the Reds, uh, the last couple years. And that turned into an 11-9 loss. And it was kind of frustrating to watch, not just because of the obvious giving away of a lead, but because of how it happened, who was on the mound for it, uh, some of the decisions that got made were just super frustrating. And, you know, I, I think it kind of was highlighted by the fact that, you know, this is a stretch of games where the Reds are playing some really good teams. And uh, the last week has seen them play six in a row against the Cubs and the Dodgers. You could make a pretty good argument that the Cubs, Dodgers, and Brewers are the three best teams in the National League, both on paper and in how they've been playing. Uh, the Reds split with them. You know, in eight games, they went four and four during this stretch, but it really felt like they played well enough to have won more than that. The, I think the two shutouts that Dodge, the Dodgers put on them are kind of the two games where they didn't really have a shot. But aside from that, they, they could have very easily won six out of these eight games. And um, you know, we're getting late enough into the season where uh, this Reds team has become a little bit frustrating because of that. Because they keep looking pretty much as good as a lot of the teams, the good teams that they're playing, and just aren't walking away with enough wins to kind of show for it. And I think today was kind of one of those uh, exacerbated moments uh, uh, surrounding that. So uh, just your thoughts on on this last week and, and today specifically kind of putting the exclamation point on that. Uh, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Reds, 
they have this habit recently, and I, I don't know if this is just uh, being a fan and how no loss feels good and everything kind of feels, um, I don't know, anecdotal in that way, but the Reds don't seem to have a whole lot of just, you know, normal like 4-2 losses where they face a good pitcher and like leave a couple guys on, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day get beat. Like all their a lot of their losses tend to feel somehow embarrassing in some way. Like they'll either get like they'll either get <laughs> no like, cut out for 7 innings on like 85 pitches or they'll blow like today they blew a 6 to 1 lead against a division opponent with their ace on the mound. Like they, they just have, they seem to have a lot of these losses where you, uh, you know, at some point in the game, you, they, you either expect them to win or just kind of expect them to break through, break through and show some kind of life. And so often this season, they've either, uh, they've done, the former where they get a big lead early and then uh, shut down and allow the uh, team they're playing to slowly climb back into things, or uh, they will just lay down from the beginning and never really score runs or produce that many hits, and the team they're playing will string together a couple runs against like Tyler Miley or something, and... Uh, win the game two to nothing and it feels really bad so they they really uh they the reds losses this season have uh somehow felt uh explicitly painful in a way that uh, (laughs) in in a way somehow in a way that the losses of the previous seasons when they would lose like 16 to 5 and uh, tanner rainey would give up like nine runs and one person Like, somehow those losses weren't as painful as the ones we're seeing this year. Yeah, for sure. Big, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, I I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, when you look at – I think the Reds still are the league leader this season in one-run losses. They have 13 one-run losses. That's more than any other team in baseball. And, um, you know, just looking at – it's just kind of the microcosm of how things have gone. You know, it, it seems like when you expect them to, you know, a day like today where you have Luis Castillo on the mound, you actually can, you hit well against the Milwaukee Brewers ace and, um, you know, Castillo blows up and then the bullpen blows up. You know, it's just, it's, it's just kind of seems to be one thing after another. And it's, uh, you know, those, we, there's been those little games here and there where they've managed to kind of come back and have kind of a feel good, um, feel good story after you know, somebody, somebody else like the Cardinals blew a game, I think, uh, and you know, in the bullpen, but it's, they're, they're kind of few and far between. And it, it seems like the losses are just kind of starting to run together as far as how they're happening. Yeah. And, right. I, I, I totally agree with Tony. It's like, it's it's almost worse to have hope in these games instead of just you know going into it and just being blown out. But yeah, it's it's one of the, like the the adage of of hitting is contagious. Um, mm-hmm. It really 
it's one way to begin to define this team because not <laughs> not not hitting is also apparently contagious. Uh, pitching is contagious, and not pitching is also contagious. And it seems like somehow, some way, when, when the bats start to get hot, they all get hot. When they get cold, they all get cold. When the pitching is good, you get a great run from everybody. When the pitching's bad, nobody can get an out. And it's yeah. it's one of those things where if there was any middle ground in any of this. Uh, this team would be four or five games over 500. You know, they've, they've obviously outscored their opponents. They've got uh, the kind of players that if you look at um, who they're supposed to be and who they have been and where they are in their careers, uh, th- there's no reason why this team should be this bad. You know, I, I keep trying to figure out like what they remind me of in that regard. And it's like, um, it's like the classic, like it's like the New York Knicks of the last twenty years, where they keep signing good players but can't find a way to win anything. Uh, it's like the Argentina national soccer team that always right. has wonderful talent and doesn't win crap. And it's like, how are these guys losing the way that they're losing to the teams they lose in this right. manner? And it always seems like there's some bit of uh, drama or or um, unneeded. Uh, um, I don't even know what the what the word is I'm looking for, but I think it is drama. It's almost like they they build in. Um, it, the, there's no suspense in it because you can see the writing on the wall well before the outcome actually comes in there, and there's not been a whole lot of surprise with this team, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also I, I think there's a little bit of the uh, the fact that this team started one and eight despite not playing too terribly poor through that first nine game stretch. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that there's been every opportunity for them to kind of get the benefit of the doubt and the good luck side of the bad luck they started with, that still hasn't happened. And it's like, they've been on the cusp of a win streak. Like what the hell is a win streak? You know, this team has played so many close games that you'd think they would have ripped off five or six or seven in a row at some point, And that just isn't happening and I think that's the the frustrating part about all this because it doesn't seem like they're doing anything overtly wrong they're not facing an injury crisis knock on wood too badly at this point um it just seems that like it's just not falling their way ever and uh this treading water thing with a with a a talented roster the way that they're put together just is uh, super super frustrating um I, I think one kind of defining um player I guess in the middle of all this is is the guy who's pretty much carried this team uh for the last five or six years that despite the 90 plus losses in so many of those seasons uh the guy that if he wasn't around everything could have been so much worse um and that's Joey Votto and he's looked not just as bad as his numbers suggest, but it almost seems like he's looked worse than that um, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you've seen from the guy who has absolutely been the best left-handed hitter in baseball for the last 10 years uh, struggle the way that he has so far? Um, BK, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been tough to watch. You know, you look at his, his numbers this year, and I, I mean, the thing that jumps out at me is that he's only – his on base percentage is only 321. You know, his walk rate is plummeted. Um, you know, the things that I, I think that those of us who, you know, say what you like about Joey Votto, but the thing that, you know, a lot of us that have defended him over the years have kind of pointed to, oh, you know, he, hey, he contributes in other ways than, you know, hitting homers as a first baseman. You know, he's not really doing any of that this year. It's just yeah. been. Um, you know, when you look at watch, when you watch him, uh, in game, he, he looks almost like he's lost at the plate. 
Um, you know, some of the times and a lot of the hits that he's getting are just kind of, you know, cheap hits. You know, he got one, um, was it last night where he kind of had a little check swing and it just kind of found left field. Um, yeah. Even though, you know, and it was just kind of, you know, it's, he's not like he's hitting the ball hard and making loud outs or anything. It's just, it's not fun to watch and it's, you know, as as someone who you know has watched him over the last what? How long has he been on the Reds? Eleven years at this point. You know, it's, yeah, eleven, twelve years. It's, yeah, it's really, it's it's difficult. I think you know, it's it's an emotionally difficult draining yeah. thing to watch. Yeah, no, dif- difficult is the word that I keep coming back to as well because he looks defensive. Um, it looks like he's almost like. He's swinging like a backhand in ping pong on every single uh, plate appearance. And, um, you know, I, I think now he's officially, uh, what, he's 12 for 85 in the uh, the month of May, which is what? That's, uh, that's, a, that's a, like a, a 141 batting average. He was slugging 190 uh, before that single late today. Um, it just – everything about it just doesn't look like the Joey Votto. Even when Votto struggled in previous years um, – Right. You know, he would find find ways to to walk. Uh, he would find ways to to work a three two count where uh, he knew what pitch he was going to get, and he fell it off, and then take the walk at the end of the at bat. Um, you're not seeing yeah. any of that. And yeah. uh, I mean, he I, he's always been a notoriously slow starter, and that's kind of been something about him that we've just kind of come to expect. This right. isn't that. You know, when you yeah. watch him, that's that's not what we're seeing. Yeah, right. Tony. Tony, what do you think, man? Yeah, I I don't know. I it might again. This seems like anecdotal, but I seem to remember you know in years past, especially you know twenty seventeen, uh, twenty sixteen when he started off kind of slow. It it seemed like he uh, he didn't he had a low average. He had a low uh, for him on base percentage, but the the walk the walk rate was still there. He wasn't striking out a bunch uh, necessarily compared to his normal thing he it just seemed like he he wasn't getting things to fall and I don't know man today like it just seems like there's there's been a lot of times recently where, where like today he faced Zach Davies who's throwing like 89 mile hour fastballs and Zach Davies has been very good all season but he like throw like Joey a bunch of things that are like five or six mile an hour apart in terms of velocity and Joey looked like the uh the knock against Vado from like you know traditional you know dummies who see his walk rate <laughs> that it's bad or like oh he's just going out there expecting to walk or hoping for a walk and that's never really been the case we've seen Vado like put it, produce a ton when he's not walking, but right now it almost kind of looks like he's going up there really hoping that he gets four pitches out of the strike zone. And if he doesn't, he really doesn't know how to counter that with actual swings and uh, hard hit balls. And he's had, he's had a couple series here and there where he, he looks like he's figuring things out. And then he goes up today and he strikes out a couple times looking really horribly against a guy who, uh, is a right-handed pitcher and isn't throwing very hard, and uh, and, and who he's he's dominated in his career yeah. too. I mean, he's faced Davies a lot and has crushed him. He's absolutely crazy. He crushed Gio Gonzalez as well, and looked 
awful last night too. It's it's one of those things where you know if 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 he's hitting balls hard and they're getting caught by a, a leaping second baseman, that's one thing. But he looks as and, and I say this as as you know obviously somebody who's written about as much about Joey Votto in the last seven eight nine years as as there is. Um, he looks as lost as anybody I've ever seen in a major league lineup yeah. for this often. You know, he doesn't look he doesn't look lost for Joey Votto. He looks lost for like Josh Van Meter. You know, <laughs> like he looks lost for Scott Shevler. He, he looks, looks lost like for first week in the big leagues. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like uh, the 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 first baseman of the Reds got hurt, and this is the guy they called up to replace the first baseman of the Reds, and that's. Uh, such a precipitous fall because, like, even last year, and we've written about this extensively. You know, he 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 stopped hitting for power. He had a what a, like the same slugging percentage as Jose Peraza, uh, and led the National League in on base percentage and walked right. more than he struck out and had a below league average strikeout rate. Like he he wasn't Joey Votto, but it was like okay, well, if this is what thirty five year old Joey Votto is, awesome. Like. Prototypical number two hitter, going to take a lot of pitches, and if you get your leadoff guy on, he can steal bases, and he's going to get six pitches to look at at every single at bat. Um, we're not seeing any of that, and the worst part about it is, is that every single day that goes by, it doesn't look like he's getting any closer to it. And you know, I was kind of hoping, uh, you know, looking at this particular week, and I mentioned earlier that it's that weird scheduling quirk where um, there's an off day Monday, off day Thursday. Uh, day game Wednesday. So, you know, and a day game Friday as well. They play one night game in a seven day window because they're in Milwaukee and Chicago and having two off days. It was like, maybe this is the week we look up at and say, uh, everybody gets their sleep patterns right. Everybody has plenty of time off. Uh, maybe this week is what kind of resets uh, so much of what this offense has been uh, kind of slogging through because. You know, we're mentioning Votto because he's the guy we've watched more than anyone, uh, and we've seen so much good from him. But uh, Yasiel Puig has been struggling mightily all season long. Uh, Jesse Winker has been hitting for power more than I think a lot of us expected, uh, but he's still not hitting and doesn't have the on-base percentage that we, we really expected from him this year either. Uh, there's been a lot about this particular offense that hasn't performed, and you know, looking at this week and kind of targeting it a week or two ago, it was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is the week where everybody kind of relaxes and gets some time off and resets their clock and starts going again. Um, and uh, we certainly did not really see that from some of the bigger names we wanted to see uh, uh, so far. So um, that's been a little frustrating, no doubt about it. But um, uh, I think on the whole, if you do look up and you, you look back at this uh, this last eight-game stretch and say, okay, Cubs, Dodgers, Brewers, win four, lose four, uh, not too bad. I, I think that's uh, – you know, uh, before the season, if you looked at that stretch and said we go four and four in that one, I think that would be a pretty uh, pretty acceptable result, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's – what's which is – I mean, which is what's kind of frustrating about this team right now is because uh, – you know, yes, as you said, uh, you play the Cubs, Dodgers, and Brewers for eight games. You win four of those. That's a pretty, you know, certainly for past Reds teams, that's uh, exceptional. Uh, and even for this Reds team, it's something that you kind of hope for. Uh, but, you know, going back to the way that they started out and uh, how they went one and eight and then uh, five and uh, 12 over their first 
uh, 17 games it was, they never they, they, they put themselves in such a hole where now 500 ball against a really good piece of your schedule like this isn't really good enough. And you need games like right, uh, today right. where you jump ahead six to one. You know, I, I, you know, I looked at this earlier and, you know, over their last uh, 32 games, I think it is, the Reds won three out of six games across two series against the Braves and the Cardinals. Then they won two out of four against the Mets, and then the two out of four against the Giants. Then they went on the West Coast, and they took three out of six total against the A's and the uh, Giants. Then they took three out of six against the Cubs and Dodgers just now, and now they've taken one out of two from the Brewers. So they're playing 500 baseball over their past 32 games, which is pretty much what we expected out of the Reds, I think, coming out of this If you kind of thought they were, they were going to be around 500, uh, you know, if you, it, we thought the offense was going to be better than it was, but and we, th- I think it's fair to say we thought the pitch, pitching staff would be a little bit worse than it is right now. Certainly not second in the uh, major leagues in uh, F war right now, but uh, you know they, they've they've played 500 baseball over the past 32 games, and that's that's fine. That's progress over the beginning of the season, but it's just you know this is a team that was built to win right now, and there this is built this is a team that was built to make a run in the playoffs and uh, sort of catch some of these uh, sleeping teams in the division, like the Cubs, who didn't really do a whole lot in the offseason, the Pirates. And the Pirates, the yeah. Uh, this is a team that's built to sort of capitalize on that, and they, you know, <laughs> we're almost to the end of May now, and they're still in last place. The run differential is still what it was a couple weeks ago. Their uh, Pythag mm-hmm. record coming into today was 27-21. and 21. That's only going to drop – a couple, uh, you know, maybe one win uh, with them losing by two today. Uh, but they're just they're they're playing 500 baseball. They're pl- they're playing just well enough to stay afloat, and it's it's just getting more and more uh, frustrating to see them, you know, come so close. It seems like uh, game after game to beginning to piece together some kind of hot streak, and then just not, and continuing to just kind of uh, tread water. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think I look up at where they are right now. And, and we also you know wrote about it a little bit earlier this week as well. Um, where do the Reds go from here? You know, it's it's they don't have a Jesse Winker or a Luis Castillo or a, a Nick Senzel in the minors right now. You know, they don't have a, a, a budding top prospect who's waiting to get called up and change the change the dynamic of the entire team. Um, they've got good prospects in the minors, but none of them are knocking on the door per se. Uh, and they've also got a lineup that is, uh, full of guys who are one-year rentals. Uh, you know, both guys they've had around for a while, like Scooter Jeanette and David Hernandez, um, and guys they brought in over the winter, uh, guys like Yasiel Puig and Tanner Rourke and, and whatnot. Um, but from a, from a trade value perspective, none of those guys really look right now like they're, uh, lottery ticket pieces where you can cash in and get the next big thing for the Cincinnati Reds by trading them. Um, what do you think, where do the Reds go from here? You know, they've got Alex Wood, they've got Scooter on the DL right now, both of whom in theory are supposed to be back in the next two to three weeks. Uh, there's only one trade deadline this year and it's July 31st, which doesn't give the Reds a whole lot of time to really a market the two guys that they've got that are, 
going to be free agents at the end of the year and are coming back from injury. Um, it also doesn't give a whole lot of time for Yasiel Puig to go out and hit a billion for two, three weeks and become this great trade chip that we all kind of thought he might be uh, when the Reds went and got him this winter. Um, what are your thoughts on what the Reds do over the next couple of weeks as Scooter and as Alex Wood get back uh, and how they either manage the roster and or begin to start figuring out whether they should move pieces or uh, or hoard what they have or play out the last couple months of the season and hope that all these things we've talked about over the last 24 minutes start turning into some marginal wins uh, that they've not been able to pick up so far this season. Um, PK, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that right now, you know, as you said, there really aren't any pieces, you know, in the minors that they can go pick up. Um, it doesn't really make sense for them to be buyers right now, just given kind of where they're at. But, you know, I think that, you know, it's it's not like years past where the talent isn't there. The talent is very obviously there. You know, you look at what the, the pitching staff has done, it, you know, it's a very complete pitching staff. There's a lot of, you know, they can pretty much get out of any situation. They have enough starters right now. Um, you know, the the bats just haven't haven't done it. But you know, they really just need a spark to kind of start that. You know, we've they've they've been able to do it in individual games a handful of times where you know, hey, you get a, a big game from Derek Dietrich and. You know, hey, Jose Peraza has a couple of hits and, you know, Tucker hits a homer and you're just like, oh, hey, this is going. But they really need to get this the offense to where it's sustained for a couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I think really what they're going to be counting on over the next month or so is when Scooter Jeanette gets back, you know, do, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that he's the best second baseman on the roster right now, honestly, given what Derek right. has done. but. You know, I, I think that they they use that. That's something you can rally around as a team to say, "Hey, we got we got Scooter back. Let's now we don't have any excuses to not be hitting." And um, you know, I, that's really what they need to do. It, they don't really have any other options right now, as far as you know, other paths that they can take. But it it but at the same point, if Scooter comes back, and obviously you're going to put him right in the lineup, both because, A, he's proven he deserves to be an everyday player over the last couple of years, uh, and, B, who knows, he might freak and hit 500 for three weeks, and you can trade him for something if that's what you want to do. Um, but Derek Dietrich's been the best hitter on the Reds this year, yeah. hands, hands down. Uh, fortunately, he's versatile enough to where he can play some corner outfield, Um I don't see a scenario at this point, and I'm not even sure Yasiel Puig uh, coming back from the shoulder injury he picked up by making a fantastic catch, it should be noted, banging into the wall in right field. Um, but if Nick Senzel and Jesse Winker are the future of your outfield, uh, and you've got Derek Dietrich under team control for next year also, uh, I don't see any scenario where you bring Scooter back, bench Dietrich, and keep playing Yasiel Puig. You know, I, I don't right. – I I, I, based on what they've done so far this year, if you're trying to win this year, I, I don't I don't know how you do that. And if that means Winker in right field and Dietrich in left field, uh, is trading Yasiel Puig like the thing that you you need to go do right now? Uh, even though his value is at a, a complete nadir at this point because he's not hit at all and has a shoulder uh, knock right now, um, it's it's going to be a very very weird thing to to 
to figure out for these Reds. Uh, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, I don't. I. It, it's weird that Puig has produced so little right now, considering the fact that he's uh, in a contract year, and and yeah, you would. This is a time where you would think that he would be at his best, uh, but you know, Puig is looked really crappy this year. You know, he's at, he has a 59 OPS plus uh, at the moment. He is uh, walking only 5% of the time. He's striking out way more than he uh, really ever has in the majors and seems to be pressing a lot. But uh, if you're the Reds, there's really not a whole lot of trade value in that, which is something that they've just kind of stumbled into and, are going to be forced to ride out as the season goes on because I don't know how you necessarily bench Puig, uh, given uh, where they given uh, where they are and and the the uh, you know you you hate to think that the money you're paying someone affects who you're putting on the field, but be, but given his his track record and uh, where where you kind of expected him to be, it, it would feel rather odd to uh, keep him on the bench in place of, say, uh, Derek Dietrich when, once uh, Scooter Jeanette comes back. I would think that there would be a little bit more um, creativity put into place, but I don't know. I, I, I am certainly, uh, I you know, you Wick uh, wrote a very good thing earlier this week about, uh, it might have been late last week, time is a flat circle. Uh, about, <laughs> uh, about how the Reds should approach this trade deadline and and how they you know, the gist of it seemed to be you know that the Reds should probably just focus on keeping a lot of the guys they have right now, not worry about you know what they can get for your Tanner Roarks and Yasiel Puig's. Uh, I don't think at this point that Yasiel Puig is going to get too much more than a lottery ticket at the trade deadline. I don't think any. Uh, play on the Reds right now is going to get too much more at the. And, and that's that 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 that's the one thing that like I I I realized immediately after I hit publish on that article that I kind of forgot about was the whole qualifying offer system yes. you know and mm-hmm. uh, the the Reds right now obviously none of their free agents really look like they're profiling to be qualifying offer. Uh, eligible, you know, like Scooter and Alex Wood might have been two guys that could have been. Uh, they're both hurt half the season, so they're not going to be able to get to that juncture at this point for 18, 19 million, mm-hmm. whatever it's going to be next year. Uh, Puig has obviously hit so terribly that uh, he doesn't look like he would at this point in time, despite the fact that he entered the season being probably the most likely one to receive a, a qualifying offer at season's end. Um, Tanner Rourke is pitched well. He's pitched very, very well, but he's going to be, what, 33 next year? Um, that doesn't exactly scream like risk $19 million because you, you might turn it down. Um, all these guys, I almost think you, you, you have to weigh the value of adding some wins to the ledger of what this team and what the current core that you've built, that's going to be around for beyond this year just needs to experience, you know, like, like guys like, Eugenio Suarez just has never really won anything, right. <laughs> you know. Jose uh, Peraza, just, yeah, yeah, Peraza, yeah. Uh, Tucker Barnhart mm-hmm. has it. Um, uh, you know, uh, all of that just fr- from just a team perspective. From obviously from a fan perspective, y- you want to make games beyond July compelling. 
for a city that hasn't seen any games beyond like May really be compelling for five years. Um, but also I feel like that that's something that, you know, uh, uh, it, it's got value beyond just what the numbers suggest and what the, the bottom line suggests. And yeah, I, I don't think I really look up and see any obvious candidates to either have to be traded at the deadline or that look like they're going to get a qualifying offer pick at the end of the year. It almost mm-hmm. makes me think like this is, this is a 162 game experiment the way this team has been put together with so many weird, odd combinations of long-term pieces and very, very short-term pieces, I think you have to let it ride out. And yeah, you know, if somebody gives you a, 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 a you know, bowls you over with a deal that says, "Hey, I want to get Tanner Rourke at the deadline," you trade him, mm-hmm. sure, because we'll be back. Or <laughs> Luca, Luca, Lucas Sims gets called up and takes some starts, and if you know, as we mentioned with Yasiel Puig, if Somebody comes in and wants to overpay for him, like the Cleveland Indians, maybe. Uh, you put Dietrich in left field and move Winker around and put Scooter back in and yeah, roll it out and try to win some more games, too. But uh, it doesn't seem like this team has uh, as much of the 100-game uh, cap as I think we all thought it might before the season started, uh, purely because some guys have just not performed and because other guys have been hurt. And it's weird to think about a team that, uh, you know, all winter long we, we thought was built to be a, a flip at the deadline team. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe that's not at all what it is. And uh, maybe, who knows, They that gives them at least a little bit longer uh, buffer zone to finally get hot and start putting wins on the table. Yeah, I mean, right. and the, it's it's weird. You know, I, I've I was looking at their how many games they were uh, behind the other teams in their division earlier, and they they entered uh, the they entered the month of May seven games back, and they entered today seven games back. So that that seems like a <laughs> that seems like you're going you're going nowhere that you're not making any progress. But uh, considering how poorly this team's outlook appeared to be uh, for much of April, maybe that isn't necessarily such a bad thing, you know, especially when you consider the pitching staff in April seemed to be, you know, they, they were just outperforming what we thought they might by such a huge margin. And as the season goes on, uh, you know, Luis Castillo continues with the exception of today to uh, not give up home runs he has an exceptional ground ball rate. Sonny Gray has an, exception, an exceptional ground ball rate. Tanner Roark has been very good. Tyler Malley has been really good. Uh, and they have Alex Wood uh, coming back on the horizon. They, their bullpen has been good good in spots. The pitching has been, it you know, seemingly legit. You know, I'm looking at their, their fan graphs right now. Their ex-FIP as a team is the third best in the majors, which is, I cannot... I, I look at the Reds. I feel like the Reds. <laughs> this is the Reds we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> virtually every day because I cannot believe how long they've stuck at the top of their leaderboard. But it's true. So <laughs> their their ex fip right now is three six three six seven. Uh, the number six team, the Cleveland Indians, who have uh, Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber until he got hurt, and Shane Bieber have an ex fip of four point oh one. They're almost three tenths of a run. Uh, they're more than three tenths of a run further back than the Reds right now in XFIP, and they, you know, the Reds' pitching seems to be legit right now. 
So as a front office, if you're still, if you still happen to be seven games back, say at the All Star break, uh, and four games back in the wild card, you know? the wild card, yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of look at your offense that has Yasiel Puig, that has Joey Votto, you know, two hitters that have traditionally been second half types. Uh, you have Eugenio Suarez. You have guys who have traditionally produced uh, in the lineup. You might be more inclined to just ride those guys out and see what what are, what's something might happen. Something might totally not, but you know, if you if you trade all these, if you trade some of these guys and you just kind of fold on July twentieth, then you're basically not losing anything than what you already had going on uh, at that point in the season. And if you hang on to some of those guys, uh, who knows what might happen if you're still, uh, you know, just a handful of games out of the wild card. You might you might still have that hot streak that we haven't seen yet, but. Uh, might unfold sometime in August. Right, right. And I think the one the one aspect about all of this that none of us really know um, that makes it all kind of hard to really really pinpoint is that uh, the rule change, like they 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 put in a one trade deadline yeah. rule for this year. It's only July thirty first. There's no waiver trade deadline uh, trade deadline uh, August thirty first deadline. I do too. I really I do. Think, yeah. I'm so tired of, oh, hey, this guy went through waivers and are they going to, oh, the, the trade deadline went past and, oh, nothing happened, but there's another one. Yeah, and, and I mean, uh, it, it, no. forces, it forces teams to make the decision on what the hell they're going to do on this year with a lot of time still remaining. They don't, they don't get that, that second chance to right. soak, up, soak up money a month later because they didn't make the – they weren't willing to commit at July 31st. Um, and, so we have no, we have no idea what that's going to do to the traditional trade deadline and, um, you know, uh, process. That's something that's bit the red the last couple of years too. You know, we're yeah. hung on to guys long longer than they should. Like Matt Harvey last year, where you know, oh hey, we didn't find an offer we liked on by January or by July thirty first, and hey, maybe we'll keep them for August and we'll see if we can get something done. And it didn't happen. Yeah. Zach Cozart too, yeah. Cozart two years ago, and you know, so yeah. it's it's definitely. I feel like the Reds right now are in a much different position than they have been in years past. Even if come the trade deadline, you know, they're still if they're still in last place and they're still you know if they're ten games back, I feel like they're where they're at is still much different than where they've been. No, where, for, for sure. You, know, you you have, and I, as you said, Wick, like it it should be a 162 game experiment. You know, let let David Bell have these guys for the whole season. Let you know, let Luis Castillo go with a full you know full strength lineup behind him all year, and instead of having to you know deal with Joey Votto, Suarez, and a bunch of you know guys straight up from AAA in September, you know, so. And, you know, they, they don't really have that there, – there's no reason for them to sell this year where, you know, they're, they're, they're not gaining much by trading Tanner Roark away. Maybe, you know, as, maybe they get a Tanner Rainey back, which is what they gave up for him. And, you know, but how much does that move the needle, you know, in 2020 and 2021? Especially with, with 60 plus million dollars coming off the payroll at the end of this year if they don't move anything. You know, right. yeah, it's going to cost them uh, – their their payroll for the last two months of this year will be higher than it was 
every year for the last five years when they've sold guys at the deadline. Um, but entering next year, it doesn't it doesn't impede them from going out and getting a better Tannerini than they would have gotten flipping a guy at the deadline either. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that that, that you look up and say. Um, you wish it would have clicked earlier, obviously, but there's still every reason to believe that the players they've got right now and the moves they made on paper this winter uh, deserve an opportunity to at least see if they can play well. Because let's be honest, you know, they're they're 22 and 27. That's not good, but it's still only four games out of the wild card. So for all of the the, the, the foibles that we've seen from them so far this year, it's not a lost season yet. And I don't think there's any reason to call time on it when the entire premise of the winner was, hey, nobody else wants these <laughs> decent big leaguers because of their contract status. Sure, we'll take them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was an admirable strategy at the time and also one that deserves an extra 81 games to see play out. Unless, as I mentioned before, unless they get bowled over by somebody else coming in and saying, hey, here's – a top 40 prospect for Tanner Roark, in which case you say, sure. And you call up Lucas Sims, who's striking out everybody at AAA right now and was a former top 40 prospect himself. So um, yeah, it's a, I will say one name that we haven't mentioned who is, might be the most likely to be traded if the Reds are still at this point by July 31st is a guy like David Hernandez, where, you know, he's a really power arm, you know, reliever could really help somebody down the stretch. You know, if they could potentially, if they got somebody bowled them over with an offer for him, you know, I, I really hesitant to see what this kind of new Reds regime would do in that situation because, you know, there's been so much, there's been so much pressure put on, you know, this is the team, like, this is the guy, like, we're built to win. You know, I don't – what do you think that would do for the morale of the rest of the guys in that bullpen if they, they say, oh, no, we got a great offer for Hernandez, he's gone. You know, I don't I don't know what what a ripple effect that that would have on the rest of the roster. And if the, if the current regime would risk doing that, just that's, for I mean, a prospect, you know. That's that's the, that's certainly a big question, especially because you look up at guys on uh, in AAA right now, and because of the trades and the moves they've made to at, at the you know the front end of this uh, this rebuild, you've got Lucas Sims, you've got Jimmy yeah. Herget, you've got Sal Romano, um, guys who have you know either look like they should be capable big leaguers or have experience as big leaguers. Guys like Cody Reed still down there as well. Um, right. You know, I, I, I think that's one of those moves that, you know, uh, maybe not technically buyers and sellers at the deadline, but you sell a piece that is blocking a piece that might end up being a better piece now and in the future. Uh, right. Despite the fact that Hernandez has been awesome pretty much. I mean, today he was wasn't great, but nobody yeah. else was either. But uh, yeah, you know, I think that's the kind of that's the kind of move you. You, you look to make to marginally improve while also opening roster spots. And I think that's the biggest part about this is that the Reds have guys behind a lot of these guys that it doesn't, you know, they're, they're not, they're not hampering the rebuild by not trading David Hernandez too much unless they get bowled over. Same with Tanner Rorick as well, because in theory, their replacements are already here. You know, they're, they're not trying to, 
to fleece some other team to make sure they've got the next big pitcher. They're not reloading they're, right. the farm like, system. Right. Yeah. Like, like if they don't trade anybody, their starting rotation next year is going to feature Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray and uh, Tanner, uh, 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 Tyler Malley um, and Anthony Scafani and maybe Tony Santillan, maybe Lucas Sims or – Maybe right. somebody they buy with that $63 million that's coming off the payroll. So uh, they, they've not handicapped themselves by the moves they previously made. Uh, I think they've just given themselves kind of a – it's how to describe it. Um, uh, they've, they've, they've positioned themselves very well on the off chance it becomes a buyer's market because they don't have to sell any of these guys. But if – it becomes a very distinct buyer's market through injury or through the, the tweaked trade deadline deadlines. Uh, they've got a lot they could sell if they want to, but holding on to any of those pieces, I don't think really puts them behind the eight ball in the way that not trading Zach Cozart might've done two years ago. Well, and I, right. I mean, even getting away from uh, guys who were off the books this year, uh, Rysel Iglesias has seemed really down this year because he's lost so many games. Rosella Glacius has a 3.33 ERA and a 3.5 fit. He's striking <laughs> out 12 batters for nine innings. He's having a pretty good year. Like not, not necessarily on par, on par with what he has in the past, but he's still 29 years old. He has cost control and uh, over the next two seasons, uh, he, he would even be a decent uh, trade target for the Reds to uh, shop a bit in the summer for about the third year in a row. You know, that even getting away from guys like David Hernandez and Scooter Jeanette and Tanner Roark, who uh, are coming off the books at the end of the year, you know, if the Reds are really looking to, if the Reds are in a really bad spot in July, uh, you know, they should probably consider moving you know one of the the guy who still has more than two months left uh on his uh on his contract yeah uh, yeah iglesias and, and anthony discofani i think are the two pieces that like if somebody really comes calling or the ones the reds might consider because disco's obviously he's got team control for next year uh he's making you know two and a half million or whatever bucks this year to his arb two year uh but his pushing 30 and has had a lot of injury issues. I, I, I love the guy and I still think he's got a lot left in him. Um, but if somebody really comes calling those, those are the kind of pieces you might look to move, you know, because uh, uh, you might actually get tangible value back from them. Uh, and then you look up at like the, what they've got in house that kind of fills back into that. You've got Tony Santillan as an in-house option for a back end rotation guy, Sims and Romano and Reed and whatever, all, all kind of still kind of, figure into that mix as well. The money that's coming off the books at the end of the year that you can reinvest back in the rotation. Um, yeah. You know, if, if somebody bowls you over with offers for those guys, I think you consider it, but uh, yeah, like I said uh, uh, earlier, uh, they've, they've positioned themselves well, if there is a buyer's market, uh, 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 you know, if, if a lot of people come in um, uh, looking for stuff, the Reds have things they could sell, uh, but they don't have to, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be very, very interesting to see, um, because obviously, you know, we've got what, two months, two months, we've got five games ish, uh, till the end of the season. Um, 
uh, if they can manage to pull off any sort of uh, uh, improvement between now and then, great. If not, uh, this team could go about 25 different ways, and I I don't know. I, I haven't seen enough yet to say uh, definitively that they've got a path in mind that really jumps off the page at me. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be fun to watch both from an on-the-field perspective and from a front office perspective. Yeah. So. Um, any last thoughts on where we are at this juncture and, uh, what the heck you got going on your, on your Reds brains at the moment? Did you guys know that, uh, Taylor Trammell currently leads the Southern League in walk rate? Oh, I 18.2%. Did a, a full percentage point over second place and, uh, with only a 24.1% strikeout rate, the best walk rate in the Southern League. That's pretty cool, I think. That's uh, very Vaudeville-esque. It is. That, that, so- that sounds like a pretty prototypical leadoff here it to does. me. Oh. oh, man. Tremel and Senzel at the top of the order. Tremel, Senzel, Winker, Suarez. Oh. oh. It is five point, the walk rate is 5.6% uh, higher than his uh, previous career high, while his strikeout rate is only 1.3% higher than his uh his previous season so and his previous career high walk rate was already All, pretty already good very good yes <laughs> for yeah. yeah for a minor league outfielder yeah <laughs> yeah for, for for a guy who profiles to, to steal 30 to 35 bases on a 160 <laughs> game pace too, power, yes yeah yeah that's uh that's a pretty tasty target to have down there so um well, cool. Well, guys, uh, episode two, uh, I think we can put in the books at this point. Um, thank you guys both for joining me tonight. And, uh, um, yeah, uh, hopefully this time next week we can check back in and the Reds have uh, put the hurt on the uh, the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time this year. Uh, Joey Votto, who has historically crushed the Cubs and crushed the Cubs and Wrigley, hopefully maybe uh, a day or two off this week can kind of set him right and he can get back going Full fledged because there's nothing more fun than watching Vado spoil the fun of a bunch of uh, Cubs fans and Wrigley. So, um, but uh, yeah, with that in mind, we'll uh, we'll sign off for this one and for uh, for Tony and BK. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on uh, at RedReporter.com for some of our uh, non-verbal and written uh, takes on the Reds and the rest of baseball. You can follow us on Twitter at Red Reporter. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Red Reporter Fans. And as I mentioned last week. Um, you can follow us there, but we're probably not going to actually interact there because God, I hate Facebook. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but, uh, uh, thank you guys for joining us and thanks for listening and we will see you guys next week.